Hello, Cypress Bible family. The elders appreciate your prayer in this season of change and challenges. Right now is the perfect opportunity for us to depend on God, grow closer to Him, and grow our faith. This week, Brian Carroll sent an email to update us on new staff members. We are thankful for God's timely provision of capable and qualified additions to our team. We are excited to see how God continues to be faithful to CBC. This month, we wanted to update you on our lead pastor search, our sermon schedules, the youth pastor search, and our upcoming goals for February. We began our lead pastor search by engaging with the third-party search firm, Slingshot. They have a three-phase process that we will be following. We started the preparation phase by completing a comprehensive questionnaire that covers various items, such as the history of our church, expectations of the position, our organizational structure, doctrinal and theological beliefs, and our church demographics, just to name a few. This questionnaire provides Slingshot with an overview of who we are as a church, how we got to where we are, and our plans for the future. This information will prep the consultants for a visit to CBC, where they will gain a deeper understanding of our needs and expectations. After meeting with the elders, the staff, and search team, Slingshot will use the collected information to develop a lead pastor profile, which is a key part of the search process. I'm excited to share that our search team is being formed. This group will consist of nine people, two elders, one deacon, one staff member, and five members from a cross-section of the congregation. Jose Navarez will lead this effort with fellow elders, Dave Edwards. These men have a wealth of experience as elders and leading and building teams in the business world. Chad Althaus, will represent the deacons and will also bring the point of view of the younger generation. Brenda Croucher, our women's pastor, brings a wealth of knowledge, experience, and insight as a member of the church staff. We have contacted five members of the congregation representing a cross-section of ages. They are currently in prayer to see if this is where God is leading them. Once the group is finalized, we will formally commission the team. We will then get them together to meet each other, review their roles, and discuss the overall lead pastor search process. Jose and Dave will ensure that every team member can present their point of view, utilizing their knowledge, skills, and experience to identify potential candidates to bring to the elder board. On a related note, Jose Navarez reviewed the slingshot process and incorporated CBC expectations and requirements. We wanted to ensure our values and doctrines are clear as we develop this relationship with our consultant. Jonathan Chang is currently leading our six-week Together series. He will be followed by Tony Svensson, Dave Munsinger, and Jeremy Little. John Bennett and Brian Carroll are developing our sermon topics and selecting qualified speakers based on input from the elders and the church staff. They are developing a proposal to cover preaching assignments through this July. 
the elders have also determined the process for hiring our next student ministry pastor. Once the elder board has identified a candidate, there will be opportunities for students, parents, student ministry volunteers, and the church staff to interact and give feedback on the proposed candidate. This will all happen before a candidate can be approved by the elders. In the interim, the elders approved Jonathan's request to continue leading the student ministry through June 1st or later if need be. Going forward, our February goals. We'll finalize the search team. We'll hold that initial meeting to get them familiarized with the process and host the visit with our Slingshot consultant. From that point forward, Slingshot will be able to start engaging with candidates and vetting their qualifications per CBC needs. Every elder is playing a key role in this process. The elders are committed to remain fully engaged and keep you informed on a monthly basis as God guides us through this process. We appreciate your continued prayer as we move forward as a church. Hey, good morning, Cypress Bible. Welcome to worship today. Would you stand together with us? Let's sing to the Lord. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive, oh yeah. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name.
was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. my privilege to welcome you this morning to Cypress Bible Church, where we say, beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. We hope that you'll join us in that journey of uh, following, uh, following what God has for you and becoming all that God created you to be. Uh, we have a couple different ways that we encourage you to do that. Gather regularly with us with, for worship, whether that's in person or whether online. Uh, we also think it's important to be in a smaller community, and uh, that is why we offer grow groups. So, so grow and get into a smaller community. Again, we have options that are in person or online. And the third thing is you and I have that responsibility to take the good news of Jesus to others as well. And so we do have opportunities to help you do that, uh, to support things. We have things coming up at the end of February. We'll learn more about global missions, but we have things that happen every second Tuesday here. Lots of different ways we can be a part of helping to carry that gospel message. And uh, then finally, uh, also, God gives us gifts, talents, and abilities. Gives us the opportunity to serve him and to serve others. Um, And uh, I'd like to introduce you uh, this morning uh, to Caleb and Deanna Dragna. Uh, many of you. Many of you, you may recognize both of them, but many of you also may recognize Deanna. Deanna serves as our financial administrator here at Cypress Bible Church. But we're here not to talk about her today. We're here to talk about Caleb here today. Uh, the elders have unanimously recommended Caleb Dragna to be Cypress Bible Church's student ministry director. Uh, And let me just answer a few questions that you may have. What is a student ministry director? The director is a name that we actually give until someone finishes their theological training. And what happened is Caleb is in the process of doing that through Moody Bible Institute, working on his MDiv. And uh, uh, Caleb has also been serving in our our student ministries really since 2015, working with a a variety of different ages and groups and responsibilities. And Jonathan's been mentoring him. And a few years ago, he sensed God calling him to go into full-time ministry. And so he started taking classes while he's working his day job and being a dad and a a husband and all those sorts of things as well. And and so um, part of, as we knew the transition was coming and Jonathan was going to be moved to other responsibilities, 
Jonathan said, I believe that Caleb is prepared and ready to take on that role, and Jonathan will continue to mentor him in that way. Uh, and Jonathan's going to hang out with student ministries up until uh, this summer. So those of you in student ministries or student ministry parents, don't worry, he's going to be there. Uh, but then uh, those responsibilities would pass on to Caleb, given a couple things. It's a process. So we haven't, that decision has not been made yet. Cypress Bible Church, which I think follows a really good process, from the point of announcement, which is today, there's a two-week process. Uh, those who are connected to that ministry, so whether it's volunteers, whether it's students, whether it's parents, parents really of any age, so if, even if you have younger children, you're invited, uh, you'll be invited to meetings, uh, and you'll be getting an email this afternoon that'll indicate all those opportunities that exist. You'll also have the opportunity if those, that group, none of those groups fit you and you want to interact with them, there's two ways to learn. Uh, one of those ways is to go out in the foyer, and there are, uh, there are resumes out there that are available so that you can learn a little bit more about Caleb and his journey. We'll also send that out in the email as well today. And then the second week is they, Caleb and Deanna both will be out in the foyer this next Sunday, not today, but next Sunday after the service for an opportunity to meet them as well. I think I neglected to say that, but I don't know if they put the picture up yet. Um, but they have two children, uh, Avalon, who is five, and Elijah, who is three. And, um, and uh, so that is the family. And they're already part of our ministry. It would just be changing that area of responsibility. And so Caleb would leave his other place of employment to come to us full-time if God approves that. So we've got two weeks. And then in two weeks, the uh, elders will determine whether they want to extend that call uh, to Caleb to serve in that role. So we encourage you to join us in praying for this process and also the opportunity to get to know them. As I said, you can pick up resumes out there in the foyer or you'll get that this afternoon. Thank you, Caleb and Deanna. We're glad that you're here this morning. Just a couple of other real quick announcements. There is a women's event that is called Women Filled with Love, which is focusing on um, um, people in the GO outreach ministry. And so if you want information about that, it's this Thursday. Stop out there at the Welcome Center. Also, we have a week from Saturday, we have a Fellowship of the Swing. It's a Valentine's event for couples or singles, and so any adults are welcome at that. If you want to know more about that, you can stop and pick that information out of the foyer. Uh, we have been focusing on um, uh, real questions. The Struggle is Real is our series right now. For those of you who may be guests or visiting with us today for the first time, uh, we're trying to... We're, we're not trying to. We're addressing real life issues that scripture has something to say about. And so this morning we're, we're talking about uh, how do I love the people who have hurt me? Now the reality is we've all been hurt by somebody. That's just the reality. That's part of living in the world and sinful world that we live in. The truth is also sometimes we've done things that have hurt others by our own choice of words, actions, behaviors, uh, attitudes, those sorts of things. And so today, as we focus on that, Jonathan's going to lead us in looking at the story of Jacob and Esau, the real life story of some things that really had great impact on the nation of Israel, for us to kind of reflect and see how does God want to connect with us in that. And so today as I pray, I'm just praying that we will all be open to what it is that God would have us to do to take steps forward in um, both experiencing and granting forgiveness as we recognize the forgiveness we have is because of what Christ has done for us. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the possibility we have of a relationship with you through Jesus. Lord, today, as uh, Jonathan leads us speaking from your word, Lord, help us to be sensitive to what you want us to do to take a step forward in either forgiving others or seeking forgiveness from others. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would be at work in our lives and give us receptivity. Lord, thankful also that we get to worship you, the author of our faith, the one who provided your son to pay that price for our sin, Lord. We're thankful for that possibility of redemptive relationship because of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you, Pastor Brian. Church family, it's so glad to be back with you again today. And I just wanna tell you, I've had an opportunity to do some reflecting. And church, I want to edify you today by encouraging you. You are so blessed with an incredible staff team that loves you so much, an incredible group of elders that communicate to you. I don't think I've ever seen a church that's been so well communicated to during a time of transition. That is a huge blessing. And Pastor Brian Carroll, I wanna thank you specifically for your leadership, for the staff and all that you do here such a great, great thing that God is doing and working here at Cypress Bible Church. And church, this is, this is a blessing and this isn't always normal. I know it's normal to you because this is your church. This is your family, right? But this isn't normal. And it's just good to know that you can stop and be thankful that God has got you. God has got you right here in his hands. And then there's a thing that you can do. Instead of always just, you know, we can sometimes lay back and enjoy, well, they've got it. You know, that's good. Your role is to pray because this room is a room full of leaders. And this church is a church body that works together in unity. And so can I just implore you to continue to pray for your staff, pray for the elders and pray for all these searches that are going on. The powerful prayers of God's people make a difference. They do, God hears your prayers and you have an impact right where you are. So let me just encourage you to do that and to unite your voices in praying and asking God to continue to do the great things that he is doing at this church body. Amen? Awesome. Would you stand together? Let's continue to worship the Lord. Sing this out with Adriana as she leads us.
You know, I really identify with what um, Pastor Brian was talking about. There are situations in our life, there are relationships, there are things that we walk through that are hurtful, that are difficult. Forgiveness is a hard thing to extend when you've really been hurt. And I've come to realize over time that life is designed this way, that God promises us that we will have trials, that we'll have temptations, that we'll have things that we have to face. If I was writing your story, if I was writing my story, I would have written all those things out. Every day would be the best day ever. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be so fun? But that's just not the reality that we live in, although my heart wishes it was. But how God works, He then uses these things intentionally in our lives, these hard seasons to shape us, to mold us. I was reading in 2 Corinthians this week, and you're probably familiar with this verse, but it says these light momentary afflictions are producing something in you. They're producing an eternal weight and glory. Therefore, don't look to the things that have been seen, but look to the things that are unseen. And this eternal weight and glory is far beyond comparison. What he is growing in you, what he is maturing in you, is far beyond anything that you can imagine. He has a plan for you, and he uses trials and hard times in our life to shape us into that. That just took me a while to get my mind wrapped around that. That's not how I would have done it, but that's how God has chosen to do it. And he even takes things that the enemy uses in your life to try to take you out. And God can literally turn those things on the head. He can flip the script and then use the same things that was meant to hurt you for good and for his glory. That is power. That is a God that loves his children, that loves his church. And so we want to teach you a new song this morning. And the purpose behind this song is it's a song of faith. It says, I want to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. And it's saying this as a belief that maybe it hasn't happened yet. You know, it's easier on the other side of victory to say, we did it. We have victory. It is so hard in the middle of the battle to say, Lord, I want to see a victory. The battle is yours. It's not mine. I need your help. But when we stay in that dependency of faith and saying, God, I don't even see it. I can't see it, but I know that you have got it. That's when God can step in and show his strength the most when we let go. So I wanna teach you this chorus. It sounds like this. As soon as you pick up on it, would you sing it along with us? I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Let me teach you this verse together. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Sing it out, my God. 
Redeemer, my healer, Lord, Almighty, my Savior, Defender, you are my King, Redeemer, my healer, Lord, Almighty, my Savior, praise God for all the ways that he loves us. And it's so good to remind our hearts of that truth found in the word and these songs we sing, that he is our redeemer. He died to set us free from sin. He's our savior. He's our defender, our shelter, a place that we can go run to, a refuge, a place that we can hide when we don't have the strength, when we don't have what it takes, Jesus is there and he's our healer. The scripture says he came to heal the brokenhearted. If your heart's broken today, you are in the right place. Jesus wants to heal those hurts, those places in your heart that you need him to step in and be who he is. So as we end our time of prayer right now, I just invite you to sing that bridge with me one more time. Redeemer, let's lift this up. Redeemer, my healer, Lord almighty, my savior, defender, you are my king. Redeemer, my healer, Lord, Almighty, my Savior, Defender, you are my King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Such great words and such great music. So many truths to remind us of, of who the Lord is in the midst of life's struggles. Hey, Matt and Andrea. Welcome home. You know, we are going through these difficult questions that we wrestle with as followers of Jesus. And I'm excited that in this series, we're going to talk about them because we should, but we're not just going to talk about them and base our feelings upon them. We're going to answer them with the truth of the word of God. And today, as we continue, we're going to talk about how do I love people who have hurt me? Because everyone in this room, as Pastor Brian said earlier, as Josh led us, we have all been hurt by people. And the reality is, is we have all hurt people as well. And today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Spider-Man is one of my favorite heroes. Oh, look at that, another pop culture reference. Yes, last week we talked about Cobra Kai, this week we're talking about Spider-Man. What next week brings, I'll let you know on Sunday. But Spider-Man No Way Home came out right before Christmas. If I give any spoilers, it's been two months. You should have seen it already. But 
Spider-Man in this movie played by Tom Holland, like any superhero movie, fights villains. But what's different about this movie is he fights villains from past Spider-Man movies. And, and so what's so neat for nerds like me who love comics and things like the multiverse, which is bringing all these different universes together where their storylines collide, we see Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man come into play, which is college me. He's like, yeah. And then Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man shows up, and he's like, yeah. And then they all three show together, and yeah. But they team up to fight villains, and not just fight villains to save the day, but there is one instance where Tom Holland's character wants revenge against one of the villains. He wants to exact revenge for something that was committed against him and his family and friends. But the other two Spider-Men stop him. And they say that revenge and retaliation are not the way to go. That hate and anger is not the answer to your hurt. Because they did that in their movies. And there was no resolution. There was no peace. Because revenge is always wrong. But forgiveness... That's the way of peace. That forgiveness would allow you to move on from the hurt. That forgiveness keeps you from bitterness. That forgiveness can lead to healing. Which is very interesting because typical movies, revenge is always the motivation for the storyline. That's why we love so many of these movies because we get to see wrongs righted in our manner. But revenge is the way you think as as the world thinks. But as followers of Jesus, we are never to be motivated by revenge, even when we're hurt, because that is ungodly. Instead, we are to live and extend grace to everyone we encounter day by day. Forgiveness is part of the DNA of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not an easy path to take, but it is one that we are called and commanded to live. And we see that in the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 33. Let me open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, for the ultimate demonstration of forgiveness. Lord, I know everyone in this room has hurt or experienced hurt or has given hurt to others. Lord, I pray for your spirit to really reveal clearly what, our, what we need to do in our lives in order to change, in order to glorify you, in order to have healing. Lord, may your word pierce our hearts and our minds today, that we don't just learn the text, but that we apply it in wisdom to our everyday life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Jacob and Esau, it was fun when we were talking about stories of reconciliation because just like Jesus walking on the water and fear, Jacob and Esau is kind of a story that doesn't get talked about much after you graduate from children's church. Yet there is still so much truth to be applied to our lives today for a lot of us, even as adults in this room and students and even children that are in here. But yes, Jacob and Esau are like the original rivalry that you see in the word of God, right? In Genesis 25, there was conflict between the two of them in Rebekah's womb. In Genesis 25, Jacob manipulates an emotional and irrational Esau for his birthright for some stew. It's a pretty fair trade. In Genesis 27, Jacob deceives their father Isaac and steals the blessing that belonged to Esau. And later on in the same chapter, Esau says that he hates Jacob and he wants to kill Jacob, so Jacob flees. 
Well, we fast forward to chapter 32, and Jacob begins this process of re-engaging Esau and wrestles with God at Peniel. And it's there where Jacob refuses to give up as he wrestles with God, even as his hip gets dislocated by the Lord. He states, I want your blessing. And because of that, the father renames him Israel because he was a man that wrestled with God, a man that sought out God, a man that strived for God, and therefore he is a new man. And so let's see what a new man of God will do. One thing that I found very interesting about this section of scripture that we're studying today as I prep this weekend, just even in my seminarian studies as we went through Genesis, was, was the approach that many commentators had to this story because they were very polarized. One side is like, Jacob is the man. He can do no wrong. Yeah. And then the other side was Jacob is absolute garbage. Don't be like Jacob. Which there's yeses to both in Jacob's life. But for me, I really preferred, and I believe the Spirit wants us to take the middle ground when it comes to Jacob. Because we see a man growing in his faith as he is learning how to walk with the Lord. And although he was a new man of God, we'll see his ups and downs, just like we all in this room have ups and downs. And so as we navigate today's verses, I'm going to give a thumbs up for when he does something that would honor the Lord. Oh, no, Aggie statements. Good. But I'll give a thumbs down when he falls short. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before him, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. You see, 20 years have passed since Jacob and Esau lost each other. And their last encounter, remember, was one where Esau said, I want to kill him. And so Jacob looks up, and he sees in the distance his brother Esau and 400 men. I don't care what anyone says, that is going to be a very intimidating sight because Jacob would be thinking, why would Esau bring 400 men when all I have are women and children and animals with me? Well, maybe because he remembers what he did against Esau Maybe he felt that Esau would be mad at him still or not know what he's up to. And so Jacob, his response right here is one based on fear. And we discussed fear in the first sermon of this series that we are not to let fear consume us. But Jacob was a man that struggled with fear, big time. Even at the end of chapter 28, God promised to protect Jacob while in Bethel. There, so much that Jacob erected a pillar to memorialize this promise from God, which is great. But in his encounter with Esau, he had forgotten that promise. Fear had overtaken him. And so why does he respond in fear? How do we see him? Well, let's, he arranges his family in an order that he was willing to take losses if it got to that intensity. Real father of the year moment, right? Husband of the year, or husbands, or what? I don't know. What's plural? One husband, many. Okay, I stop. But you have row one. You have Zilpah, who is Leah's servant, and with Gad and Asher. And then you have Bilhah with Dan and Naphtali. And then row two, we have Leah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dinah, his daughter. And then in row three, his most precious. My precious. You have Rachel, sorry. Joseph. But no Benjamin, because Benjamin's not born yet. But that's really, really messed up. 
And seeing this, understanding Jacob's heart for and who he didn't have a heart for in his family can show you why the brothers hated Joseph so much as we see later on in the text in Genesis. Because Jacob was willing to sacrifice three women, 11 sons and a daughter to save the most precious to him. And so that is a thumbs down move. But what do we see after he organizes them and arranges them? He himself went on before them. We see boldness and leadership immediately after his fear. So you see the up and down. I give him a thumbs up for that, right? He had literally wrestled with God the night before with a dislocated hip. So you can see a man, he's in his 90s at this point, limping in front of his family. And the reality is he's hurting. And he wants to represent his family instead of cowering behind. And so we give him a thumbs up. And it's another reason we give him a thumbs up is we see in the previous text that the night before when they were crossing the Jabbok River, he was kind of walking behind his family as they were going towards Esau. And how does he approach Esau? He approaches Esau in a prostrate manner, a humble manner. So we give him a thumbs up again. Because he could have shown up defensive and in an unpeaceful manner, but he showed up humble. This coming near, the Hebrew gives the imagery of an approach is one as he's approaching an altar, which is one of reverence. He is expressing submission as he is approaching his brother. We even see in the Armana tablets, which is a historical document where the city kings of Canaan, when they begin their letters to the Egyptian pharaoh, it always said, at the feet of my Lord, seven times and seven times I fall. So we see meekness and humility as Jacob nears Esau. So what will happen next? This is the edge of your seat moment, right? This is where like a movie trailer would end. It's a good thing we have the Bible because in verse 4 it tells you what happens. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. This is absolute absolute beauty that we get to read right here. Because what does Esau do? He runs. He sees Jacob, and he runs towards him, and not a a Jonathan Chang trot. We're talking about a sprint, a full sprint towards the brother he once hated. And we see an embrace, not just a short hug, what's up, but it's a strong embrace, a tight hug where he doesn't want to let go, and he falls on his neck. This is the kind of falling on someone's neck when your body goes limp because at that moment you have peace. You are strong but relaxed. We see this exact falling on a neck as Joseph later on demonstrates when he's reunited with Benjamin and his father Jacob later on in Genesis. But then stop there, we see a kiss. This is a kiss of affection, one that is used in a familial context. Like when two brothers who haven't seen each other for 20 years are reunited. And they wept. This is where Jacob reciprocates. Because up to this point, the Hebrew given, everything is singular when pointing to Esau. So Esau ran, Esau embraced, Esau kissed, but then they wept. Jacob is so moved by his brother's kind and loving heart that he reciprocates now. What I find so interesting is that it took Esau 
to initiate all of this. Because Esau has forgiven Jacob for the theft of his blessing. Esau has forgiven him for the ripoff of his birthright. Esau, in engaging this, is demonstrating that he has let it go, that he's no longer holding it against him. We see this very reference to the story of the father and the prodigal son in Luke 15.20. The reality is Jesus may have been referencing this encounter in the telling of that great parable. The early church leader, John Chrysostom, said that when the Lord of all wishes to give evidence of his providence in our regard, he makes those hostile to us become gentler than lambs. Esau looks up from crying with his brother, and he sees all of Jacob's family. This is that warm moment that there's so much to catch up on. We've missed out on so much. I haven't seen you in so long. Please introduce me to your family. Jacob gives a thumbs-up response, and he gets a thumbs-up for his response here. He said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. He's very specific to give glory to the Lord for his family. Huge thumbs-up. And in verses 8 through 11, we, can, can, we continue. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Esau asks him about what Jacob had sent to him with his messengers in the previous chapter, right? Jacob sent a huge list of animals and they go as follows. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 female sheep, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. That's a very nice gift. Jacob was serious about wanting to make things right with Esau. But Jacob sending these animals as a gift was maybe just to help soften up what the encounter would be. He's looking for favor. He's looking for mercy. But what, G- what Jacob didn't know is that Esau had already forgiven him. Esau tells him, I don't need these things. I have enough. Esau says that the way Esau responds in that manner is showing that he truly has forgiven Jacob for his sins against him, for his hurt. We look at the difference in the way they address one another. We can see that because Jacob approaches Esau and calls him Lord and says, I'm your servant. But Esau says, you are my brother. You are my family. Because the normal human response when someone showers you with stuff is, heck yeah, I'll take it. I'll take all I can get. But not Esau. Because he was content with what he had. He was content in a restored relationship with his brother whom he hadn't seen for 20 years. He didn't need these things. But Jacob is insistent. Please take it. This is that politeness battle, right? It's like the last last object on a dish and everyone's like, oh, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. And then someone finally has to take it. That's kind of what's going on right here. Please take it. And this gift can be looked at as him expressing to him his humility. Jacob saying, I am expressing to you my goodwill through this gift. And the, the use of the word accept here is like that one of which describes God accepting of a sacrifice. That is the significance of Jacob wanting Esau to receive this present. It is his, I'm so sorry. 
so much that Jacob compares Esau's face to that of the face of God. He's not saying that God and Esau are the same. He's saying that he sees God in Esau because Esau showed grace. Esau showed kindness and love, friendship, forgiveness. Because Jacob does remember his encounter with God as he wrestled with him the night before. When he saw God's face, he remind, remembered that I don't, I'm no longer known as a deceiver. I'm a new man of God. Jacob's meeting with God the night before prepared him for his meeting with Esau. And this is why I refuse to dump all over Jacob in his shortcomings, in this story, in all of his story. Because like all of us, he is growing in his faith journey, in his ups and downs. We just get the privilege to read about it. We get to be witnesses to Jacob's life in Scripture. The gift that Jacob wants Esau to take is him saying, let me make it up to you. I stole your blessing And I know that I can never get that back, but please let me try my very best to give you a restitution to make things right. Jacob gets a thumbs up here. Thumbs up because he is trying to right the ship where it went wrong. Jacob presses and pleads with Esau to let me make this right. And so Esau receives the gift. Esau choosing to receive the gift is him acknowledging that Jacob has made things right, and so they are on good terms now, thus signifying a full reconciliation between the two. But there's one thing I want to point out here. Nowhere in this text do you see Jacob ask Esau for forgiveness. You don't see Jacob apologize in his words. He does in his actions, but not his words. It's kind of like when Jennifer and I first got married, we would have arguments, and to make things right, she would buy me flowers. You never know how that's going to go when you say that, so thank you for laughing. But in, in all reality, we would have an argument, or I would do something to hurt her, and so for those that know me, my love language is to give gifts. That's how I show love. And so I would buy her flowers or shoes or kicks or something, right, to try to make things up. But I never said, I'm sorry or forgive me. And so there would always be that awkwardness where I'm like, I thought things were good, but like when we're around each other, it's like we're at a middle school dance. Because there wasn't closure. Because I didn't say, I'm sorry. She appreciated the gift, but she needed to hear the words, I'm sorry for what I had done. And it doesn't feel like you've ever fully made up because you have not made up because reconciliation takes both actions and words. And so what we see here in this story of reconciliation even more so is not just the action of Jacob towards Esau and Esau towards him, but it is a testimony to the greatness of God that even in man's shortcomings, he can reconcile and he can help others see hearts because it's all about God. But for us, it serves as a serious reminder that we should be quick to say sorry in words and in actions when we have hurt someone. Because forgiveness, it's what we really should do. It's what we're called to do. If we do it God's way and we forgive, then we can live into the passage of Ephesians 4.32, which says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Or Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness is a command from the Lord. 
and we are to live it out and exercise it out in our daily lives. We should never be resistant or hesitant to give out forgiveness to someone that desires reconciliation. Full forgiveness, reconciliation, it's when the sinner or the one who commits the hurt confesses and repents. He apologizes or she apologizes, and the one who was sinned against or hurt receives it. That is reconciliation, and that is beautiful and is a testimony to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. This is what pleases the Lord. C.S. Lewis tells us that to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. But what if the person who commits the hurt isn't sorry? That's where it gets dicey, right? Because you can't have reconciliation unless both parties apologize. Both parties make up. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can always demonstrate the spirit of forgiveness that you are willing to forgive them, that you are willing to confess like our Savior did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so what do you do? You pray earnestly for the opportunity of reconciliation. You pray earnestly for your heart to not become hardened towards that person. You pray earnestly for the boldness to approach that person, to have a conversation with them about the hurt that you experienced in order to have reconciliation. Forgiveness is not partial. There is no such thing as partial forgiveness or half forgiveness. It's just like pursuing the wisdom and the folly of God. You're either pursuing God or you're not. And so there's this meme going around with Skeletor, again, 80s nerd, cartoon nerd. I love He-Man. But this meme demonstrates hard facts, things that are hard to say, disturbing facts. And so these are the facts that are true and might make you cringe and they might even be a slap in the face. And so as believers, we need to always understand that partial forgiveness is not forgiveness. Because in relationships, you've either forgiven the person or you have not forgiven the person. And so what are the results of unforgiveness for not doing it God's way? Well, bitterness will happen. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Andy Minio, who is a Christian hip-hop artist, wrote a song entitled Bitter, and it talks about his relationship with his father or the lack of one that he had. And I'm going to read one of the verses to you because I think... It is beautiful and eloquent and raw and authentic. And he says, yeah, I got to tread softly. Don't want to be a hypocrite, plus I got some bitterness I want to get up off me. Where should I start? Well, I feel like I'd be sort of fronting to say that when my father calls that I don't hit the ignore button. It's probably because we never kicked it at a younger age. I know when he's calling, but I don't have his number saved. I keep dodging him, but I'm just being honest. All he wants to do is talk about football and how I should play in college. So I get bitter, kind of cold like the winter. It's so hard for me to forgive him, then I remember that I'm a sinner. And Jesus forgave me and washed away my sins. When I didn't deserve it, then I could forgive him. His power and such amazing love, like when Jesus forgave the ones that pinned him up on that cross as he was hanging from it. Holy Spirit, teach me to be just like the sun. Remove the roots of bitterness. Don't stop until your work is done. 
Andy Minio is very real about his struggles with the hurts he has with his father, but he knows as a believer that he can't reciprocate that same hurt towards his dad, and he needs the Holy Spirit to lead him into a heart of forgiveness. Another bad thing about unforgiveness is the desire for revenge or getting even. 1 Peter 3.9 tells us, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. If you choose unforgiveness, you will end up hating that person. You will not care if you wrong them or hurt them. You may even be petty and find ways to hurt them. And that makes you just like them in the hurt. It's wrong and it's displeasing to God. So if you are struggling with forgiving others, maybe a specific person, please know that forgiveness cannot happen without Jesus as Lord. As a believer, you can do it. The question is, do you want to? But for someone who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, unless Jesus is your Lord, it will be impossible because our nature is to not forgive but to exact revenge. But Jesus His death on the cross as an act of forgiveness for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Your sins, my sins, everyone's sins. Knowing and understanding that forgiveness was extended to you because he is God incarnate, that he is Lord. And because he is Lord, it didn't end with his death on the cross. He rose up gloriously three days later as given in the word. The power of the Lord, the power which resurrected him from the dead, is the same power that rescues you from the grips of hell. Believing that Jesus is Lord in your heart, confessing that Jesus is Lord with your lips, God promises that we get to go to heaven if we believe that. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you as you acknowledge Jesus as Lord and will give you the ability to forgive those who have hurt you. Will give you the ability to love those who have hurt you. So we really see in the text here that the reconciliation happens. Why are we going to study the entire chapter of chapter 33 in Genesis? Well, there's more that serves as a warning to what we do as followers of Jesus. Last week we talked about true wisdom versus false wisdom. And we see Joseph in the way, I mean Jacob, I'm sorry, in the way he responds to Esau. We see him not living into God's plan for his life. We see him living in a selfish and ambitious way for himself which leads to disaster in chapter 34, if you read on after 33. There's your homework. But in verses 12 to 14, then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Let's go together. That's what Esau says. This further confirms that he is good with Jacob. Let's go live near one another. Let's let our families grow together. Let us grow old together as reconciled brothers. I'll even go ahead with you with my 400 men to make sure that there will be protection for you and your family and your animals. And Jacob, instead of saying yes, he responds with a, yeah, I'll see you there. It's like the church version 
when someone asks someone else to serve in the church, right, to help build and equip the church, or for someone to be asked to go on a mission trip to bring the good news of Jesus to someone else, the response is this quick and non-committal, oh, okay, yeah, sounds good, I'll pray about it. But we know that the, the answer already in their mind is no. And Jacob had already said no in his mind prior to any of this. So why doesn't he want to go with his brother? Because culturally, it was the norm to live near your family or by your family. And previously in Genesis, God had commanded Jacob to go to Bethel. It was at Bethel where God restated his covenant promise to Jacob. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And that's why he can't go with Esau to see her. He was supposed to go home to God's promised land for him and his descendants. Jacob gets a thumbs down moment here. Because instead of telling his brother that the gracious Lord who gave him his children and commanded him to go to Bethel, he gives an excuse about his children and the young animals being too tired. That they wouldn't be able to keep pace with Esau, that his children were weak. Yet you look, and a couple chapters ago, they had no problem running from Laban. Everyone survived that. And so he says again, we'll see you there, bud. Esau continues, though, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. Esau understands why Jacob and his crew would be tired because they've just traveled a lot. It's normal to be tired. So he's like, let me help you again. Maybe my men can help you come with me. And Jacob refuses again. And it's interesting that Jacob pressed Esau to receive hospitality from him, but when Esau responded and pressed him, he said, no thanks. Jacob responding with saying, let me find favor in the sight of my Lord, is like, please, don't ask me again. And so Esau doesn't press anymore. He says, I'll see you at home, little bro. But Jacob would never show up. Why didn't Jacob just be honest? We see through Jacob's life that he is a man of fear. He might have had a a quick freak-out moment, like, what's going to happen? What if Esau turns on me while we're traveling? But we also know that he struggles with deception. And typically, people that are deceptive have trust issues with others. Maybe Esau was going to plan an attack, but if he would, he would have done it earlier. He wouldn't have just waited. So here, the situation is he deceived his brother, thus showing that he was still going to wrestle with himself and the Lord in his life. The deception didn't cause any harm to Esau this time, though. There was no selfish ambition in his deception, but it was still deception. But I want to play a what-if moment here, because it's just the way my mind works. We know that Esau loved material things, that he was a materialistic person, that he never had a heart for the Lord. But what if Jacob had said, why don't you come to Bethel with me? There I can tell you about my God, the one who gave me these gracious gifts of my family. Because we know that Esau loved his stuff in Seir. He wanted to go back to his stuff. And again, I understand God has a sovereign plan that we never fully understand. This is just the what-if moment that I think we often overlook eternity moments in conversations with people, ministry moments, and every single conversation that we have with people, that we should never overlook any moments with people. And so the two brothers, they don't see each other again until later on in chapter 35, at their father's funeral. 
And so Jacob takes his entire crew to Sukkot, though, which isn't Bethel. And there he builds a home and stays there for a little while. Sukkot, again, is literally booths. And so he built booths for all of his livestock, thus signifying that his intention was to stay in Sukkot for a while, to not go to Bethel where God had commanded him. Thumbs down. Here's a map. If you look, Seir is at the very bottom where Edom is. They met at the very top of the red line. Sukkot is just west of that. Bethel is a little southwest, and Shechem is wester of Sukkot. That's a real word. Um, But I'm going to go back to that in a second, because in verses 18 through 20, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padam Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. After they leave Sukkot, they go to Bethel. No, they go to Shechem instead. Shechem is an active city. It's a prosperous, busy city. It's kind of like a Houston. And Jacob buys land. And typically, you don't buy land unless you have intention to stay and live there. And that's what he did. So Jacob can say, yes, I'm in Canaan now. But he's not where he, God called him to be, in Canaan. He sort of obeys God, but partial anything is never full anything. Therefore, partial obedience is disobedience. And Jacob had deceived himself that since he was in Canaan, he was good. I'm sort of obeying God. I got to get a little credit. And so he builds an altar and remembers God. This altar, El Elohe Israel, means the mighty God is the God of Israel. This is a good thing, yes, It's always good to recognize God's might and power. I just wish he would have done it in Bethel. Maybe near the pillar that he built in chapter 28 to memorialize God's promise and faithfulness to him. But see, we have ups and downs. It's how we bounce back from the downs and how we remember to pursue God in the ups. The warning for us in these verses is that when you do something God's way like reconciliation, it can be easy to get comfortable and you let your guard down. Jacob reconciled with his brother Awesome. He had a victory in his faith journey, but he let his guard down, and then he disobeyed the Lord immediately after. He got complacent, and he got comfortable. And for us, as followers of Jesus, we should and must celebrate the victories that we have in our walk. But let's continue pressing on after God in all things and all the time, and we must do things God's way always. And so we need to remember with forgiveness, the theme of this passage. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I hate that statement, forgive and forget, because I think it minimizes the importance of forgiveness. What forgiveness is, is choosing to not hold the sin or hurt against that person who committed against you anymore. You don't bring it up repeatedly again and again. Remember when you did? Forgiveness also doesn't mean that there's an automatic restoration of trust. When trust is broken, it takes time to build it back up. It takes time to restore it. Forgiveness means that you are choosing to move forward together with that person through and work through the hurt and pain together in order to restore peace between one another. Forgiveness is not selfish. You don't milk the situation out. You don't manipulate the person because of the guilt they may feel for hurting you. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an adjective like we use in our current day vocabulary. Instead, forgiveness is an action. It's a verb. Forgiveness is a choice. 
And it is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit because our natural fleshly desire is to have revenge and unforgiveness. And again, forgiveness is not partial. You either forgive someone fully or you don't forgive that person at all. Forgiveness is given a full pardon to the one that committed the sin against you. A full pardon. So we can see the words in Matthew 18, 21 and 22. And Peter says, well, how, how, how many times do I forgive someone? Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Because when it comes to forgiving others, as followers of Jesus, we don't look to forgive the minimal amount of times. As followers of Jesus, instead we look to an infinite amount, and we do do so because Jesus did that for us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for the words we see about Jacob and Esau. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness demonstrated between the two of them. But Lord, we celebrate today the forgiveness that was given to us because of Jesus, through Jesus. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, again, if they're wrestling with forgiving someone that has hurt them, Father, I pray that the Spirit convicts them to seek out forgiveness or to give forgiveness. And if, we, if someone has hurt someone, Father, I pray that they will seek out forgiveness. Lord, let us and our pride never get in our way of our pursuit of you and demonstrate your goodness to this world. So, Father, we thank you for the great word that is known as forgiveness, which was given to us through Jesus. Lord, we thank you for heaven through Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chang. A challenging message to respond to. Uh, churches, we have this time of invitation. It's not just a time that we stand and sing, but it's a time that you can really do business with the Lord. This altar is open. You can come and kneel and pray here. You can sing and kneel and pray where you are. You can just worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But this is a time to respond in that way. Let me invite you to stand together as we worship. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, leave behind your regrets and mistakes. is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Yeah. Oh, come
Hello, Cypress Bible family. The elders appreciate your prayer in this season of change and challenges. Right now is the perfect opportunity for us to depend on God, grow closer to Him, and grow our faith. This week, Brian Carroll sent an email to update us on new staff members. We are thankful for God's timely provision of capable and qualified additions to our team. We are excited to see how God continues to be faithful to CBC. This month, we wanted to update you on our lead pastor search, our sermon schedules, the youth pastor search, and our upcoming goals for February. 
we began our lead pastor search by engaging with the third-party search firm, Slingshot. They have a three-phase process that we will be following. We started the preparation phase by completing a comprehensive questionnaire that covers various items such as the history of our church, expectations of the position, our organizational structure, doctrinal and theological to develop a lead pastor profile, which is a key part of the search process. I'm excited to share that our search team is being formed. This group will consist of nine people, two elders, one deacon, one staff member, and five members from a cross-section of the congregation. Jose Navarez will lead this effort with fellow elders, Dave Edwards. These men have a wealth of experience as elders and leading and building teams in the business world. Chad Althaus will represent the deacons and will also bring the point of view of the younger generation. Brenda Croucher, our women's pastor, brings a wealth of knowledge, experience, and insight as a member of the church staff. We have contacted five members of the congregation representing a cross-section of ages. They are currently in prayer to see if this is where God is leading them. Once the group is finalized, we will formally commission the team. We will then get them together to meet each other, review their roles, and discuss the overall lead pastor search process. Jose and Dave will ensure that every team member can present their point of view, utilizing their knowledge, skills, and experience to identify potential candidates to bring to the elder board. On a related note, Jose Navarez reviewed the slingshot process and incorporated CBC expectations and requirements. We wanted to ensure our values and doctrines are clear as we develop this relationship with our consultant. Jonathan Chang is currently leading our six-week Together series. He will be followed by Tony Svensson, Dave Munsinger, and Jeremy Little. John Bennett and Brian Carroll are developing our sermon topics and selecting qualified speakers based on input from the elders and the church staff. They are developing a proposal to cover preaching assignments through this July. The elders have also determined the process for hiring our next student ministry pastor. Once the elder board has identified a candidate, there will be opportunities for students, parents, student ministry volunteers, and the church staff to interact and give feedback on the proposed candidate. This will all happen before a candidate can be approved by the elders. In the interim, the elders approve Jonathan's request to continue leading the student ministry through June 1st or later if need be. Going forward, our February goals. We'll finalize the search team. 
We'll hold that initial meeting to get them familiarized with the process and host the visit with our Slingshot consultant. From that point forward, Slingshot will be able to start engaging with candidates and vetting their qualifications per CBC needs. Every elder is playing a key role in this process. The elders are committed to remain fully engaged and keep you informed on a monthly basis as God guides us through this process. We appreciate your continued prayer as we move forward as a church. Hello, Simon.